All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege. May we never become familiar with it, Father, that you've set aside this time to glorify you in the worship of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Father, through whom our salvation is even possible. Thank you for never letting us stray too far from the truth. Thank you for always reminding us of your grace, your mercy, and your love. Thank you for giving us so much to be grateful for day in and day out, and shame on us when we fail to do so. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill, that long to be here with us but cannot for a variety of reasons. Our spirits, our prayers go out to them, Father. Heal them in your time, of course. Let them know that we're thinking about them, that we miss them, and we'd like them back with us. Father, we pray also for those that are still lost in this world, that they might be evangelized and set aside for your good purposes before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality for all of us to enjoy. Father, we pray for this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Chris, can you shut that off for me? Is that one on in the back? So we keep this one on for what reason? Yeah, but it's too loud. If you want to put that one on the back, if everybody gets hot, just put the one on the back. All right, the deceitfulness of, sorry about that interruption, that's on tape nonetheless. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 68. I want to open up with um, something very encouraging. Uh, I happen to be um, encouraged by my own sister. Is she here today? She's not feeling. She's not. Hopefully she's listening online. Uh, just a text exchange I had um, with a member of the congregation. And when I get these kinds of things, they just happen to be family as well. Um, you all, whether you're blood or not, to me, our family first in Christ. And so when I get these kinds of correspondences from people, uh, it's nice that it's my sister, but that's not why I'm sharing it. It's just a member of the congregation as far as I'm concerned. So it reads this way. <clears throat> this was after um, Thursday's message. I just love the point you made tonight about how every time you read the Bible, you see the gospel in it. It has been hitting me the same way and it's so awesome. So glad you encourage us to read our Bibles. What a difference it has made in my life. Just wanted to thank you for your love and dedication to God's Word. And I responded, thanks for sharing that. I needed it. And she responded, you're welcome. I hope it was an encouragement to you. For you will never know how many lives you are changing through the Word of God. I know it must be so very discouraging at times, but trust me, you are reaching many people. And then she goes on and tells me how I'm the greatest person she's ever known. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you don't want to hear that stuff, because then it's like biased. Okay, that last part was totally made up, obviously. But hopefully you get the point. I read that because 
it's good for you to all know that behind the scenes, uh, there are those of you who do take the time to encourage your pastor. Uh, nonetheless, though on full display this morning, it's only one example of a much larger brush that Christ desires for us all to stroke across this canvas called life. Let me ask you this question. Who among you doesn't like to be encouraged from time to time? Who doesn't like to be encouraged from time to time? Well, what does the Bible have to say about encouragement? Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Actually, the Bible has a lot to say about encouragement. And it approaches the subject from various angles. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. That's what you just saw, what I just read. Encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. That is a, obviously a reference to the office of pastor. Uh, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Sometimes my fear is that I've become like the old welcome mat in some of your souls. I hope you know what I mean. You just step on it in a way. It's just always been there. The day you got it, you loved it. Um, you appreciated it. But it gets old, and now you pretty much just step on it on the way home, if you would, or in the way into this building. So my fear is that I've become like an old welcome mat in some of your souls. And I need you to get this straight right now. This is not some kind of violin story for me. I don't need that from you. I get my sustenance from Christ. You should know that this is not about me, Ed Collins. Why do I bring this up? It's about your blessings. It's about your blessings when you maintain a proper perspective regarding the grace of God, of which I am certainly an example of. Go ahead, somebody say it. Thank you, Todd. See what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Why does the deacon always have to do that? Why does my sister always have to do that? There's no amen from the rest of you? Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is not about me. If I get upset, it's literally not about me. It's about you. You're missing out. When you don't understand God's grace in your life, when you become familiar with a place like this, you're missing out. And so you, when you see this sort of 
pained expression on my face, it's out of love for you. It's not out of offense to me. Do you understand? I've already taken my licks from most of you. And I understand like Jesus did at the end of John 2. I understand what's in the heart of man. I understand that you're wretched and you're broken and you're poor and you're tired and you've got every other excuse why you're miserable. I get that. I'm a human too, remember? It makes me sad that people forget that people become familiar with any aspect of God's grace. This being one of them, right? I mean, you guys come here every Sunday, some of you Tuesdays, Thursdays, some during the Bible studies, and you take in God's grace, and it becomes a familiar thing for you. And I'm just reminded of the chasm when I receive a correspondence like the one I did from Kathy. I'm reminded of it. Like, wait, is it, it's really not too much to expect that kind of a thing. Do you follow? Because somebody in the congregation gets it. But it's again about your blessings when you maintain a proper perspective regarding the grace of God. And you're listening to one example of that grace. Let's look at a more generic passage since godly encouragement isn't limited to what we just read regarding church leaders. Of course it isn't. Go to Hebrews 10.23. Hebrews 10, verse 23. So on this topic of encouragement, Hebrews 10, verse 23. So it's not just specifically, obviously, towards the uh, office of pastor. Uh, that's a huge portion of grace in your life. But the Bible has a lot to say about encouragement. Hebrews 10.23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. This should be um, something that you think about, that you consider, as verse 24 said, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Encourage one another. This should be a mindset of yours. It appears that God has ordained encouragement as something He deems very good. Let's now consider the root cause of godly encouragement. Because remember, godly encouragement is about giving. And what did Jesus say about giving? It's more blessed. In other words, the blessing is yours when you give, when you take the time. That was the example I gave you this morning. That was just a text conversation. It's just a text conversation. But you know what? It's, you know, if you add up all. Kathy's words are probably this long. So it probably took her, I don't know, if it was taught, it'd probably take 15 minutes, but, and it'd be all caps, and I'd be like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> but it took some time and some energy and some thought to do. Um, that's what godly encouragement looks like. It's a gift. 
It's a grace gift working through another vessel that's willing to listen to God, the Holy Spirit, and say, you know what? That man right there, that faithful man, needs my encouragement this day. And instead of turning on the, the damn TV, opening another beer, or whatever the hell it is people do that gets them distracted, she actually got on her phone and texted something out. Imagine that. And she was blessed for it. You see? Philippians 2.3, go there. What's the root cause of godly encouragement? And I'm not trying to be harsh, and I'm not trying to, you know, throw stones at all of you, and now some of you get that look, that deer in the headlight look. Oh boy, I've, I don't know if I've ever actually sent the pastor any kind of encouragement. Oh boy, I haven't done that in about a year. Oh boy, stop it. Stop being selfish. That's why you're in the position you're in to start with. It's not all about you. Shocker, right? Let's consider the root cause of godly encouragement. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing. What's that word say? Nothing. nothing. Do you understand what nothing means? It means nada, zippo. Zero. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That right there is a mindset, a root cause for godly encouragement. So this is the root cause of true encouragement. We might just summarize it the way Jesus would say, living for others. And living for others is just a form of grace. Grace is a form of giving. And who's the blessed one? The one who gives, says Jesus. You see what Jesus was doing? He set us all up for success. He said, live for others because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That is literally the antithesis of America. America is gather unto myself. Bite, scratch, steal, lie, cheat, whatever it is I want. It's to me. You'll never be this person if that's your mindset. If you don't live for others, you're missing out on the greatest blessings in life. I'm doing it right now, as hard as it is, right? It's not the easiest way to start off a Sunday. But I'm doing it, and I'm blessed for it. There's something going on in my own soul right now that God's saying, perfect, perfect, thank you for being that faithful steward of my time and my energy and this gift I've given you. Thank you. Because somebody who's listening will actually be delivered. And that's a beautiful thing. So this is the root cause of true encouragement, living for others. Ask yourselves right now, and, don't, and, and put yourself back an hour from, from here. Back, go back an hour before you even got here. When you read about encouragement in Holy Scripture, what is your first thought? Well, selfish people hear the word encouragement and think immediately of themselves and how others may or may not uh, have succeeded in encouraging them lately. 
In other words, nobody encourages, you know, the whole drama bit. That's the selfish person. Meanwhile, the selfless, Christ-like people hear the word encouragement and get excited about the possibility of being able to lift the spirit of others, as Kathy did with me. Not to call another person out, but I have no problem doing this. Jim Merchant is another individual that comes to mind and is a wonderful example of selfless encouragement. Every week he responds to the blog with some form of encouragement, and I appreciate it more than I can say. So here's the point before we move on. Please don't forget to encourage one another. It's important. It's important. And don't be that person who says, well, encouragement to me is when someone gives to me. I love encouragement. I love when people encourage me. That's not the real blessing. The real blessing is when you are the encouraging person, when you are the one encouraging someone else. So says your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. who's the very fullness of grace and truth, right? So that was just a little side note the Spirit wanted me to share as the result of Kathy's encouragement over the weekend. What's going on, guys? You give me a thumbs up, but it keeps flopping. So, we have to finish this series. Um, we may this morning. I'm not going to speculate because every time I get burnt, and then I got to listen to my oldest son tell me how it's dragging on, Dad. He doesn't say that, by the way. Unless there are extreme unforeseen circumstances today, this may well be the last installment, save the Tuesday review, of course. On this beloved series, we've been on the deceitfulness of sin. I just described a huge component, a huge area of deceit, have I not? I just did, with the whole topic of encouragement. People are deceived on it. And just so you know how the Spirit acts, I still don't have a solid idea of what He's going to be digging into next. Yeah, we're right here at the end of this series, and I've only got a few notions, that's about it. So to me, that's very exciting. And just I share that with you because I want you to know that I don't have a book that I go by. You know what I mean? I don't have something that was handed down to me from ages past, from other pastors, it says, okay, now in uh, June, you teach on this, and then in July, you teach on, and there's this like curriculum that's laid out. Uh-uh. Nope. As soon as I say, I think I know, he changes it. Sometimes I think he does it on purpose. But that's very good news for you. It means that your pastor is listening to the Spirit. Because every generation is different, each congregation is different. You guys need to hear something different than the people down the street. I don't know what they're teaching down the street. I really don't want to know, necessarily. 
as long as they got the gospel right. So these are exciting times. On Thursday, I used some viable worldly wisdom, and admittedly, it is worldly wisdom from this guy, Warren Buffett, uh, very successful in the world. And it was an illustration that I used as a sort of a launching pad for divine wisdom. So I'll just borrow from it again, if you don't mind. When he was asked, uh, Warren Buffett's an extremely wealthy individual, very successful in his endeavors. What advice do you give young people today? And he said two things. One, avoid debt at all costs, in particular credit cards. And then number two, invest in your mind, for no one can take that investment away from you. Stay out of debt, in other words, especially with credit cards. Credit cards are an absolute abomination and invest in your mind, for no one can take that investment away from you. So speaking of debt, I just used that little framework because there was a spiritual analog to it. Spiritually speaking, what's the wisdom of God to have to say on the topic of debt? Well, for starters, up here on the board, our debt has been paid. Did we have a debt? Yep. Could we pay it? Nope. Who could? Christ. Who did? Christ. Our debt has been paid. Thank God, right? We wouldn't be able to pay it. We would all end up in the lake of fire. Have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about that yet today? I think about that every day. You might say, doesn't that get boring? Aren't you, don't you get familiar? Not really. Honest to goodness, not really. The fact that I'm not going to hell is a, is a miracle. <laughs> Sir, hey, hey, hey. Easy now. It's a miracle. For real. It's, it's a stinking miracle. It's unbelievable. How am I not going to hell? Who the heck am I? But the Bible says the debt has been paid. By grace, God ensures we aren't enslaved to this debt. Go to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. Because we are born slaves, after all, of unrighteousness, of sin, functioning along with the sons of disobedience under the dominion of Satan, the god of this world. We were basically destitute of anything good. Slaves, completely enslaved. Not even capable of thinking outside of that box, so to speak. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We are born in debt after all, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that takes care of the debt side of things. On point number two, what does the wisdom of God have to say about investing in our mind and our education? Go to Luke 11.9. Luke 11 verse 9. What about the investing in our minds? The one thing that no one can take away. It's incredible how much time people invest in cosmic or worldly education. There are some people in here that have master's degrees. And I'm not saying they're the ones who haven't invested in their biblical education. But all I'm saying is that's a lot of school. That's usually six years of schooling. It's incredible how many people spend inordinate amounts of time to get ahead in the world and very little time to get ahead with Christ. 
who invest very little in Christ, in the Word of God. It's an afterthought. It's a, well, if I have enough time at the end of the day, well, if I'm not too tired. Well, it sounds like to me that Jesus Christ, maybe the Word of God, is yet another highly trodden upon welcome mat in your soul. That's what it seems like. Luke 11.9 On the topic of investing in your mind and your education, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Jesus Christ promises us that for the person who seeks, they will indeed find. Up here on the board, that's that Greek word, zeteo, for seek. It means to run through with the eyes any series or succession of men or things. And so to seek out, search through, make diligent search. And again, there's a purpose to seek in order to find. Seek and find. And just so you know, the verb Zeteo in the Greek is in the present tense, active voice. And when, it, when the Greek's in the act, when a verb is in the active voice, it's an inescapable truth that you are involved. The subject is involved. It's a verb enacted by the subject. Present tense means right now. It means you are presently involved in seeking. This means that it is our responsibility to invest in our own mind and education. By grace, God promises to provide us with an education that we have access to. But the Bible tells us that we must seek for it diligently, not passively. Not passively. And I think we live in a, what we might call a TV generation that is used to being entertained, that is very passive, that isn't active at all when it comes to the Word of God. I, I imagine, you know, when I was a kid, I would look at this book and I'd be like, that's like way too thick. Right? I'd be like, no, I'm not reading that. That book, you know, I was the guy who bought Cliff Notes in, in high school, you know. And you look at the book and you're like, I'm not, and now fast forward like, what's now like, I can't even believe it, like almost 35 years later, and kids are like worse. It's a TV generation. It's about being passive, being entertained. We had three channels growing up. We used to have to go outside and entertain ourselves. It was got kind of rough, huh? Got some scars to prove it. Now it's all TV and video games and then the pocket computer called the smartphone and everybody's being entertained and so you you say what do you mean read the bible what do you mean i we mean read the bible yeah the bible says you have to seek diligently that what's in the bible we live in a tv generation that is used to being entertained but god has not designed our learning to be passive. The nice thing about the Bible is that it comes with a permanent teacher, namely God the Holy Spirit, and also we receive on-the-job training as we apply the things we learn to our lives. Go to John 14, 26. John 14, 
26. But the Bible tells us, present tense, active voice, that we are to seek. That's an inescapable truth. God has left it to our free will, if you would, to seek Him out. To come to know Him. He's made every avenue possible by grace for you to do just that. It's like someone come up to you and saying, you know what, and this is a worldly example, I'm going to give everybody in here a free ride to MIT. Some of you are like, what? No. Just pretend you can do it. I'm going to give everyone in here a free ride to MIT. All you have to do is show up. And you know, you come out of MIT, you know, you're pretty much set. And the vast majority of people don't show up. John 14, 26, But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. You've got to be listening, though, don't you? What's He going to bring into remembrance in your life if you don't read the Bible? What does He have to work with if there's no content, if you haven't been seeking diligently? Sin lies to us. This is where we get back to our series. Sin lies to us. Sin lies to us and says, oh, you don't need to invest in your biblical education. You already know enough about God. Just imagine Him the way you want to. Just imagine Him. I know that He loves me. I mean, He saved me. So why can't I just run on that? I don't need to read my Bible. I'll just imagine what I want Him to be. Here's what the Bible has to say about such lies up here on the board. Knowing God... We don't have the right to imagine anything about the holy God of the universe. The one who plainly states, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Human imagination is disastrous. Disastrous. And here's what I've learned. The smarter, the higher the IQ, the more disastrous the result. So you've got a bunch of smarty pants, right, who think they know God, and because they're smart, they can architect all kinds of theories and philosophies and speak pretty eloquently about such things. Just look at the ancient guys like Plato and those guys, very intelligent individuals, supremely intelligent, but many of them were morons, most of them, because all they were doing was speculating, using human intellect to try to explain away something it says in the Bible, Isaiah 55, 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. You don't have the capacity to figure out what I'm thinking. You actually have to learn it. You have to seek diligently with a purpose. Human imagination is disastrous. Up here on the board. To know the Word is to know God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Scripture, John 1.1. 1, 1. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. John 8.19, part B. What does that say? Jesus Christ is the Word. If you know me, you know the Father. You want to know God? Then learn the Word of God. You want to know who God is? Read your Bible. Where do you think all that gratitude came from, from Kathy's text? 
Because she's reading the Bible more than she has have, ever has in her life, and she's loving it. And she understands and knows God, and because of that, she's set free and has a peace that surpasses all human comprehension. And so many Christians can't get out of their own way. I would argue, now this is going to, you can agree to disagree, but what I see is the average Christian, when I say Christian, I'm not, I'm not necessarily concluding believer, I'm just saying the average Christian from what I can see, is more miserable than the average unbeliever. Why? How can that possibly be? You figure it out. They don't know God. They're still living for themselves. They skipped the whole part where Jesus said it's more blessed to give, to live for others, to lay down one's life for others. They miss that hope. They skip over it. They imagine a God the way they imagine their parents should be, all giving, all tolerant, uh, raising brats and enabled and entitled, entitled jackasses and then pushing them out in the world like that. That's not our God, and we shouldn't imagine them that way. Our God will say, hey, buddy, stop right there. You're not going any further with this. I love you. I'm going to stop you right here. Stop imagining fictitious things about me because that's not who I am. And if you read your Bible, you'd know better. And if you knew better, you know what? You'd be set free. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. You'd have peace. You wouldn't be so stinking miserable. You wouldn't need all those crutches. You know the ones, the ones that come in little 12-ounce or 16-ounce. or What do they come in now? 20-ounce? Or if you're down in the hood, it's 45s or 40s. What is it? Okay, Todd's from the hood, right? I'm thinking Colt 45 and a 40. Uh-huh. See? You know, you just keep getting bigger, right? You wouldn't need any of that. What would you need that for? You'd be, you'd be content with just living. What does the Word of God say? I, let's, I mean, there's not much more I can give you than that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so we established that the Word is God. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. So if we know the Word, we know the Father. Hmm. This leaves us with one conclusion, that Satan in the kingdom of darkness does not want us to understand. This is why I'm teaching this this morning. Does not want you to understand. Satan would love it if we all just let our Bibles collect dust and simply imagined, invented, and speculated God to be whatever our human sensibilities so desired. Satan would love that. He loves that scheme. That's what's played out in most Christian churches nowadays. Let's have about 40 minutes of music and la-la-la and rock music and all this stuff. I'll tell you some little quip about my, my poodle. And I'll, some, I'll use maybe one verse, you know. Uh, but I'll be entertaining, I promise. And I'll let you imagine the rest. Just say, God, just imagine. God, Jesus loves you, right? We just sung it for 40 minutes straight. Just imagine the rest. Just spec, Just invent. Satan loves that stuff. Let's read some more scripture. Go to Isaiah 40, verse 11. Isaiah 40, verse 11. I just think it's so simple. 
It's, it's just not rocket science, people. This one thing, this one diligent act of learning the Word of God. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Isaiah 40, verse 11. <clears throat> Isaiah 40:11 reads like a shepherd he will tend his flock in his arm he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom he will gently lead the nursing ewes who has measured the water in the hollows of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who has, or who, or as his counselor has informed him? These are rhetorical questions, obviously. These are questions like that remind me of Romans 9. Who are you, O man? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? You would think in today's culture that man is telling God how he should be. Politicians speaking such blasphemies that religion should change, true religion should change to accommodate, you know, the times. That we shouldn't stand by what Holy Scripture says anymore. We should just imagine God as changing, even though the Bible tells us He's immutable. He never changes. Why would He? Why should He? We imagine all these things. And as Christians, when we imagine those things, it basically makes way for us to be able to frolic in the world unadulterated. Because God forbid you stand up for truth. You will be persecuted. You will be singled out. If your life is filled with no singling out, no persecution, chances are you're a, um, what's the right word? A pawn in Satan's game? Just another player on the grand stage of the world? Just a phony? Maybe a pretender even? Maybe not even a believer? I don't know. But if you have zero persecution in your life ever, if you're never singled out for standing up for what you so-called believe in, I'm not talking about standing up by the egg tray back there and going, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, you're talking to maybe another believer, obviously someone in the church. I'm talking about out there where you're supposed to be evangelizing people, where you're supposed to be standing up for Jesus Christ, where you got enlisted into his army. Pick up your rifle. Pick up your uniform. In duo, put on Jesus Christ instead of putting on the world, lest you fail the test, my friends. That's what Paul would say if he was here. He wouldn't hold back. He'd probably be more in your face than I am. By tenfold, who knows? The Apostle Paul used this passage many years later when he spoke of the mystery of learning truth from the Word of God empowered by the Spirit of the Word. 
Go to 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Corinthians 2, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For, And this is where he borrows what we just read in Isaiah 40. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? That's a reference to Isaiah 40, verse 13. We just read it. But we have the mind of Christ. Again, the emphasis here this morning is that we never allow the lies of the kingdom of darkness to thwart us from digesting the very bread of life, the Word of God. It's the only way we can get right with Him in our lives. It's the only way that we can orient to His will. That is His will after all. If we want a relationship with Him, we must dine on Holy Scripture. There's just no other way. Some might say, who says? Who says? Who says I have to read my Bible to have a relationship with, with God? I know a lot of people that don't read their Bible at all and say, I have a relationship with God. How? You mean you've imagined a relationship with God? You've speculated about who and what God is. You don't know anything about God because you don't actually know the Word of God. Jesus Christ has said, I'm the Word. If you know me, you know the Father. You don't know either. You don't know any of us. How could you when this is where it's revealed? People will fight you tooth and nail that they know God. So some might say, who says this is true? Who says you've got to read your Bible to know God? The answer? Scripture is what we call self-authenticating, which is just a fancy way of saying that if we want to know the truth, we must consult the truth. You want to know the truth? You've got to go to the truth. Amen? You mean I can't go to my imagination? I can't go to my romance novels to find out what love is? I can't watch a movie? made in some perverse area called Hollywood that's almost the beacon of disgustingness to the rest of the world. I've been overseas. I've, been on, I've pretty much been in every corner except maybe Australia and the Poles. And everyone, undoubtedly, whether they like or love us, points to us, especially for social stuff. They point to Hollywood. They think Hollywood is the ultimate prize what it projects, you understand? And it's literally the, a big old sewer pipe. We can't go to this. We can't go to a sewer pipe and expect to be washed over with truth, can we? It's just the opposite. But is it fair to say, is it fair that some of you might spend more time on worldly apps on your phone than you do in the Bible? I don't know. I know that's true for some of you. More time on a worldly app that's spewing sewer, sewage than in the Bible. 
If we want to know the truth, we must consult the truth. For lack of a better way to explain it, the Word of God is the end of the line, I guess you could say. The root cause for all things good, a la Colossians 1. Up here on the board, John 1, 3. All things came into being through Him, the Word, verse 1. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So in other words, everything we know, the root of it is the Word of God. Everything that we're tethered to, everything that we are originates with Him, the self-existent One, God. He's the end of the line. Does that make sense? And when it comes to His expression towards us, the end of the line, when we're talking about learning about Him, is the Bible. He said, don't go anywhere else. You come to my word, and you'll, you'll know me, I promise. I have my spirit here to help you, the teacher, he will help you. But you can't snooze through class. You can't have the greatest book ever written in your possession and keep it closed and expect to know God. Imagination, invention, it just doesn't work. Why? Because we don't have the faculties for it. We don't we don't even have the right to do that. It's an abomination to God. Here's what we know from Holy Scripture. He is the word of truth. So, let's see some of his self-authenticating nature now. Go to 2 Timothy 3:16. 2 Timothy 3:16. And I can see what the spirit's doing as we're climbing out of this deep dive. I mean, what is this, this is part what 68 or something, 67, 68. That's a long time on a series. And look what he's, look what he's bringing into view as we sort of uh, emerge from this deep dive on the deceitfulness of sin. So he's basically saying, I believe, as your teacher, he's saying, there's no way in hell you remember 68 parts. No way. There is no way. I could go back right now, 40, 40 lessons back, and I go, I said that? And they're my lessons. I wrote that? And they're my lessons. There is no way you are going to remember all this stuff. So what do you do? You pick up your Bible and read it again. And you pick up the Bible the next day and you read it again. 2 Timothy 3.16 all Scripture is inspired. I've given you the Greek on that a bazillion times. God breathed. All Scripture is inspired, God breathed, by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All those things, they, they come with activities, don't they? You can, you can just think about them as um, present tense, active voice. The Word of God is there for the taking, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I think one of the grave mistakes people make is that once the Bible is out of sight, it is left out of mind. Satan, knowing this, specializes, and we had a whole section, probably a few months back now, in this series, on distractions. Our eyes get diverted 
Go to 2 Corinthians 4.18. 2 Corinthians 4.18. Out of sight, out of mind, right? I mean, it is summer. The sun's out. Woohoo! Right? People spend an awful lot of time looking for beach balls in Walmart, but don't read the Bible. Spend an awful lot of time waiting in some ridiculous line for some so-called wonderful beach. People wait, what, 30, 40, 50 minutes in a line to get to a beach, and they don't spend even five reading the Bible? Just put that in perspective. How grotesque is that? How utterly disgusting is that in comparison? And I'm not trying, this isn't about me and you. This is about you and God. Imagine being God looking down saying, I can't even get them to pay attention to me. Do you want to know something? Whenever I reach out to my, my pastor friends, they all say the same thing. I wish my, my congregation would just wake the hell up. I can't even, I can't even get them to, to stick around. I can't even get them to pay attention. They all say the same thing. Second Corinthians 4.18 While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Out of sight, out of mind, right? That's what the flesh says. Out of sight, out of mind. I don't have to think about it. If I just take this Bible and just push it over there. You know, behind the behind my new fake fern. You know, because I'm too lazy to water too. But you know, I'll just push that over there. What? Am I offending people? I have fake ferns, Mister. You're missing the point. Point is, he putting it away. Why do you think people stop coming to church? Look around. Why do you think people stop coming to church? Because for one, chances are I'm going to sit right in front of them and go read your Bible. And that's an indictment. They don't want to hear it. Or the lessons are tough. And I say things like, stop living for yourself and stop living for others. Wait a minute, I can't do that and still wait 50 minutes on a beach line. Do you know what I'm saying? It becomes offensive to that person to actually do the one thing that God says. Invest in your education and you'll be free, I promise. The whole system's set up by grace for you. So they don't want to come to church because the bald guy says the same thing over and over. They want to be entertained, you see? They want me to be like a video game. Remember Max Hedron? I'm saying that because he was bald. Wasn't he bald? MTV, Max Hedron, remember him? He was a bald guy. They want me to be like that guy. They want me to entertain him. And as soon as I stop being having any real entertainment value, they're gone. Look around. Where is everybody? Same old story. Out of sight, out of mind. People just push the Bible away. They take God's grace and push it back out of their lives because it's intrusive. It's offensive to them. If we become distracted, we miss out on the power of the Word of God. 
Go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. And Satan is right there saying, this is how you push back. This is how you can get away from the pressure that God's putting on you. So if we become distracted, and some of you, it's summertime, so be careful. We miss out on the power of the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 Well, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Well, I suppose, if you don't read your Bible, you'll never have that experience. It'll never cut you to the marrow. It'll never cut to the bone, you see? Out of sight, out of mind. If I read my Bible, I get convicted every time. If I don't, hey, hey, like magic. I don't get cut to the bone. So what are your options? Get cut to the bone. Have your wounds healed. Have the ointment applied by the Word of God, by God Himself. Or run away like a coward, like most Christians do. Like most Christians do. If they're even Christians at all, if that makes sense. Remember, there's a little thing called perseverance. If you don't persevere, you become an apostate. Sin tries to deceive us into believing that we can live this life in the absence of truth. I think that's the message here this morning. I didn't get anywhere near closing. I mean, not even close. I don't even know how many, probably halfway through. He has a lot to say, and there's no rush, honestly. This isn't about finishing some series, not like, you know, I don't know, we're running some, you know, race and we're trying to run across the line, like, Sin tries to deceive us into believing that we can live this life in the absence of truth. That we can go long stretches of time without eating or drinking the way Jesus said. Up here on the board, John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He's also the word of God, we just saw that. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. In other words, he's our sustenance from day one of salvation. He is our sustenance. We don't go anywhere else. There's no other place to go for sustenance. We have to go to the Word of God. That's what He's given us. We do not have the right to invent Word. We don't add to the Word. We learn it. Does that make sense? We don't subtract from it. We accept it for what it says. That's our part in this. That's how we seek present tense active voice. That's how we seek the truth. We go to the Word of God. Who is Jesus who said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. If we never wish to suffer hunger pangs, then let us come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to whatever degree humanly possible. I don't know what the boundary is. 
It's as far as God wants to take it in your life. I know what He's done in my life, and I'm stupefied. I don't know where... I, I, I hope it doesn't end here. I, I'm, I, I know it won't. But don't ask me to say, all right, when you get here, you're done. That would be a very dangerous thing to think in the first place. Let us come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whatever degree humanly possible. And just to sort of um, sprinkle in a little bit of this past week, at the outset we have the critical aspect of learning about God Himself. Remember, Christ is God. So we have to understand, who is God? Who's this, who's this person who saved me? Who's the one who architected this way of lifting me out of certain death and damnation? Who's this person and why would he do it? I was reading the, the uh, prep school um, notes because uh, I see what the prep school teachers are going through. And one of the kids asked, why not just, if God knew people were going to sin, why not just wipe them out? Right? That's a little kid. That's a wonderful question. Some of you are like, yeah, what? Well, maybe you, have, maybe you should read your Bible. Maybe if you want answers to such things, maybe you should read your Bible and stop inventing stuff. Stop imagining stuff. You want the truth? Here it is. That's as good as it gets. As good as it gets, my friends. So at the outset, we have this critical aspect of learning about God Himself. And remember that Christ is God. And I'm not talking about just knowing that God exists and that He decided to sovereignly elect you you even know what that means at this point? I'm talking about understanding through the study of His Word many of the whys that are in view. Why? W-H-Y. Why? Many of those things. Why did the sovereign God of the universe choose to elect me rather than just chuck me out? Why did He do this? I've taught it before. I know I know exactly why. I don't know every reason why, but I have a really good uh, idea of why. Why? Because I read my Bible. That's it. That's how I know. And like I've said many, many times, I'm hesitant right now if you can't tell to tell you why because you'll be like, "Okay, I got it. I won't read my Bible. I'll just I'll just lean on the ball guy because I'm a lazy person who needs to get out of here to wait in a 50-minute line for a beach." That's why I'm hesitant to do it. I don't necessarily want to tell you what I know. I want you to discover it for yourself. I want you to have your own convictions. Because my convictions and your soul will never hold up. You have to have your own convictions. You have to have your own faith. I think it's Romans uh, 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Yeah, read your Bible. Listen to His Spirit when you do so. He's trying to teach you. It's supernatural. You don't get to invent it. That's not supernatural. That's ungodly. 
You don't get to speculate or imagine. That's not supernatural. That's human intellect, which can get you in a whole host of trouble very quickly. These whys are the things we don't understand as infants in Christ. They must be learned. And I'm going to close here in a moment. Let me just give you some scripture to chew on. I call it synthesize. Some of you are like, wait a minute, that's like three scriptures. That's like really hard. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Synthesize these three verses. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we just read it. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Isaiah 40.13 in view, remember? Who are you, old man? You're going to tell me how I am? But we have the mind of Christ by grace. Mark 9.23, part B. All things are possible to him who believes. Luke 24.45a. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Just chew on that this weekend. Just chew on it. Who are you? All things are possible. I'll open your mind. These three verses point to a truth in the Word of God that the kingdom of darkness doesn't want any of you to know. That is, that you may actually understand, to some ordained degree, the very mind of Jesus Christ. Even begin to understand why He does the things He does. And this is why, over the course of this ministry, the Spirit has had all of, your, all of you increase your Bible reading. It's because at face value, it's the most important form of obedience of all, being that Holy Scripture is indeed self-authenticating. That's where I have to leave you this morning, but don't miss it. Why, do I, why am I a broken record? Because that's what He wants me to be. He doesn't, want me to, he doesn't want me to stand here and dazzle you with vocabulary or entertainment purposes or any of that. He wants to tell you, just read your Bible. The greatest form of obedience right now in your life is to learn the Word of God. Learn the Word of God somehow. Hear it from this mouth because this is a grace gift. Let this gift guide you the way it needs to guide you. Go home. Get some quiet time. Pick up your Bible. Read it. Pray. Read it some more. Pray some more. Read it some more, pray some more, whatever that works out in your life, just do it. Just do it. God knows what He's doing. There are way too many distractions. If I think back now, I think about usually at the beginning of summer, one of these lessons comes out. It's a warning flare for all of you to keep on obeying, to keep on learning the Word, and for as long as you do that thing, all those distractions, think of the armor of God, all those distractions that come in the summer, they now start bouncing off truth. And you learn, hey, wait a minute, that's not good. 
That's not good for my soul. That's not what God wants me to be doing right now with my summer, with my time. It's a beautiful day out. Maybe I should go live for somebody else. Not just on rainy days when you've got nothing else to do. And you've already thumbed through all, exhaustively, all your little apps. Not just rain. How about sunny days? You know what he's getting at? Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to study your word here this morning. Thank you for always cutting to the chase with us. Thank you for always being real with us. You love us in a way that we cannot even fathom. How dare we ever forget it, Father. We just continue to pray for your patience with us. Thank you for your loving kindness. We just ask for the time and the space to take the things we've learned this morning back to our homes. We're so grateful for your Spirit's guidance and his teaching. Maybe, just maybe, when we get it all straight, we're able to bring it out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.